Hey, it's BT with Tales from a Gemini. My guest today is Bike Hedonia, uh, Grace McDonald. She's from Australia. She literally had a, a life that we call it a cush life. She was a lawyer living the so-called life, and she abandoned it all to be what we call a moto hobo. And she's basically homeless, riding a motorcycle around the world. She's living the life. I'll let her tell a story, but you're going to love this episode. Enjoy. Bye, Cadonia, my friend, my newest best friend, Grace McDonald. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to this, man. Here we go. One, two. Yeah. It's BT with Tales from a Gemini, and we're going later than we normally do because this guest is just that special. I'm going to call her a jet setter. That's what I'm going to call her a jet setter. And if there was ever a song that describes this person, I'm going to describe it as the Bruce Springsteen song, Hungry Heart. And the, the lyric to me that describes her is, had a wife and kid in Baltimore, Jack, went out for a ride and I never came back. Just like a river that don't know where it's flowing, took a wrong turn and I just kept going. And that's what this guest did. What song you think describes you? If you had to pick. Oh, I reckon um, Bob Dylan, uh, Rolling Stone. Oh, like that. Like a Rolling Stone. Yes. I, I, yes. Reading up, reading up on what I did about you, I feel, I mean, honestly, I'm not just saying it just to kiss your ass. I feel that that's, that's you. And I, I want to ask you this also, being that you're traveling around the world on a motorcycle, okay, and then and now you're, you know, living in another country and you left a cush wasn't a cush job but you left a great job uh to the outside world like a great job or whatever do you feel that that maybe just a little bit of of you is a rebel in the sense of how women and you mentioned this in your blog how women sometimes get a mixed message in life somebody says be classy be this and that but then again be independent but then again and whereas a man we're born we're like hey and we know who we are. We're cool. And no one really, you know, like it's easier for us in a way, I think. So do you think in a way there's a little bit of a rebel in you that showed you, hey, I can do this because I'm a woman? Well, I think a lot of the time when you do something that people think is brave or unusual, a lot of the time it's really just because you feel like you have your back against the wall. So when you feel like you've got nowhere else to go, then you're capable of incredible things. So for me, I got to a point where I was like, I am done with this life. I've had enough. This is not working for me. And then it was just easy. I thought, what do I want to do? I want to get on my motorcycle and ride away and not come back. And that's exactly what I did. And a lot of people said, oh, well, that's kind of an unusual or a brave thing to do as a woman. And I said, yeah, but I didn't have anything left to lose. Well, I don't think it's easy for a woman. I think it's, I mean, I think it's, I think it's hard for anybody, man or woman. When you have a job as, and you're a lawyer, have a job as a lawyer, you're making good money. You know, you're probably partying every night, but being a lawyer though, it goes, as far as hate, it goes, lawyer, uh, uh, Jehovah's Witness. This kind of goes like one and two, you know. <laughs> Either way, used car salesman. Yeah, well, not a lawyer first. Jehovah's Witness, used car salesman. But either way, you're gonna pay somebody. You pay a lawyer with your money. You pay a Jehovah's Witness with your soul. One of the <laughs> one way or another, you gotta pay somebody. <laughs> so it's like. That, you know, to, like I said, to the outside world, it looks great being a lawyer, but to leave, even as a man or a woman, and to say, I'm done with this life, I'm going to try something else. And if, if you don't mind me being so rude to ask, what age were you when you decided to leave? Um, I was 26 when I decided to leave, and I was 27 when I actually got on my bike and rode away into the sunset. Wow. Well, you know what? But that's how you do. I always tell people if you're, when you're young, man, do that because you know what? You don't want to be like 50 or 60. Going, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to travel around the world on my, on my motorcycle. And you go, actually, I can't because I got arthritis. So it's like that is I mean, to me now, that is brave because no offense, but you're women nowadays say, oh, you're doing something brave because they have a picture with, you know, on Instagram without their makeup. And they go, oh, girl, you're brave. And you're like, really? That's brave. But to me, what you did <laughs> And to read about how you did it, and it's like you camped, and I know it's Australia, you camped, and you had to worry about, I mean, no offense, but you had to worry about guys coming to you. Like, and I love how you phrase that, being their, like their white knight in shining armor, like, hey, you better watch out for those guys over there. Why don't you camp next to me and blah, blah, blah? And you're like, yeah, you just want to get in my pants. I mean, in your words, and your words, I'm not trying to be nasty, but in your words. So it's like, how did you navigate through that? Because sometimes people have that innate, six cents like eh. but how did you navigate through that and camp 
and then still trust yourself like, all right, if something goes awry, can I defend myself? Even though you did sleep with a big Bowie knife. Yeah, that's true. I, I do have a very large knife. These days I ride around with a machete strapped to my motorbike, which is really good. When I get stopped by the police, I just tell them it's for opening coconuts and they always let me go. <laughs> but I mean, ultimately to answer your question, you just got to trust your gut, you know. Um, there's Sometimes you get to a point where no matter how much you think about a situation, there's no clear um, answer. There's You don't know what's in someone else's mind. You don't know what's in their heart. And you just got to trust yourself. So a lot of the time you just got to be fiercely independent. You've got to go and like camp in a place where no one knows you're there. And a lot of the time, the other tactic is you just want to appear as insane as possible. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about it is, no offense, think about it. if you're a hot woman, the, even if you appear insane, there's guys going to be like, you know what, I can tame her or I can whatever. I like crazy. I mean, like, I, even though if you do appear, you could appear seriously with blood coming down your, <laughs> blood coming out <laughs> your arms with a machete. And there's a guy still like, you know what, I'm still going to camp next to her. You never know. I mean, so like, how do you navigate You, you give that? men way too much credit. <laughs> Okay, how do you appear, how do you try to appear uh, insane? How would you try to appear insane? Well, um, it's just not fitting the mold. It's, uh, and also in in some ways you want to act like a man. So the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you stand, the way you sit, the way you swagger around with your machete, you want to look like you give, and I don't know if I can swear on this Swear, podcast. swear, be swear? yourself. Yeah, be yourself. All right. You want to look like you give absolutely zero fucks. And yes. then people, they give you your space for sure. Okay. You, you don't want to be um, looking too approachable, you know? Well, well, I mean, okay. So, okay. So if it, let's just say we were at the same campground and I just happen to stumble upon you and you go, I don't know that guy. So what, you're going to get your machete out. You're going to start chopping down weeds and be like, and look over me and like, like, don't you even think about talking. Are you going to give me your resting bitch face? Is that what you're going to do? Yeah, look, I'm just going to go about my business. I might have my machete there. I might be cutting down some, some bamboo. And, you know, it might incidentally come into your field of vision that I am heavily armed and <laughs> look slightly deranged. You know, it's... Uh, you don't want to be too obvious about this stuff, but just a little, a subtle amount of insanity. It goes a long way. <laughs> a subtle amount of insanity. I love that. I love that. And okay, so where did all this independent and that streak come from? Was it, did it start in your childhood or was it just through life where you go, you know what, this isn't fair? Or what, I mean, where did all this independent and, and being who you are as a person, where did it come from? Well, when I was a kid, I grew up in the mountains in Australia and I didn't go to school. So my parents just didn't really like human beings very much. So they decided to live in the middle of nowhere, put a really big padlock on the front gate so that no one could accidentally visit them. And that was how I grew up. And so I was very much, uh, you know, out in the bush, left to my own devices. And I sort of had to figure out on my own, you know, who I was and what life was all about. So I, um, yeah, I had a lot of independence and a library card and that was basically my education. <laughs> a library. So you basically, were you homeschooled or your parents go, ah, you can read if you want to, we don't care. I mean, like, what was your education? Like, how did you even, I mean, how did you go from like not going to school to being a lawyer? Well, so in Australia, we have um, correspondence school, you know, you can get your lessons sent out in the mail. So I used to every week or every two weeks. I would get a package of mail and there would be some lessons in it. So I would do that. I would just read it and teach myself. And yeah, as I say, the rest of the time was my library card. That was how I discovered the world. You know, the, the whole world is in your local library if you take the time to look for it. You know what? That's something no one ever talks about now is library. I think we're so attuned to Internet and everything like right here. Everything is right here. So why even think to go to And I think the library is probably one of the most underrated uh, educational facilities we have. I, I think no matter where you go, because 
the library, and, and, and when you invade a country, the first thing they do is they burn books or they burn the history. And that's why some places or some people don't know who they are because they burn their history and go, all right, now you're part of us. And they don't know their history. I mean, AKA, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, black uh, African-Americans or, you know, or whatever, whoever, whoever was invaded, they burn their history and say, okay, now you're part of us now. And very few people, and maybe it is in Australia with your Aborigines, or maybe it was a, a, somewhere in Africa where they have what they call the older people, they tell their stories, they're storytellers, and that's how, and they pass it down to generation to generation, and that's how they did it. So that's why I love libraries, man. I learned everything in a library because I'm a little bit older than you, so that's how I did it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're right as as well um, about the oral histories in in the Australian Indigenous communities as well. So, um, and it's storytelling is so powerful. Whoever has the power to tell the story has the power to create the future as well. You tell the story of the past and you get to shape the future. So absolutely, I completely agree with you. Um, and libraries are an underappreciated resource for sure. Now, how did it go from that to motorcycles to lawyer to, you know what, I'm going to take this motorcycle thing uh, uh, to a whole different level? Well, I guess my path to motorcycles came through being a lawyer. So I started out in the library. I became a lawyer because that was the kind of education I had because, so I wasn't very good at teaching myself maths and science. So I kind of needed a teacher for that. I didn't really have a teacher. So in the end, my strengths were humanities. So that's why I became a lawyer. You know, I could read, I could write, I could argue. And that's how that went down. I thought, look, I I need a job. I need to have some kind of financial security in life. I guess I'd better be a lawyer. Well, I mean, no offense, but almost every woman can read and write and argue. I mean, I've never won an argument with any of my <laughs> ex-girlfriends. I mean, so, I mean, they could have been lawyers. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe they should. Maybe they're missing their vocation. <laughs> I'll call them up and tell them they should form a lawyer company of BT and BT and BT. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. This this could be a legal powerhouse. We've got we've we've had an idea that's going to change the world. There you go. Okay. okay, so you're a lawyer now. Did, would you ever enjoy it at all, or because I know you left it, but did, was there ever a point you enjoyed it, or did you get into it and go, "Yeah, this is not really what I thought it was going to be," and I'm not really enjoying this. I, I love the black letter law. I love the intellectual pursuit of interpretation and case law. And, and also law is about stories as well, particularly in the common law system. So when you're drawing on your case law, you're, you're understanding and interpreting the law through stories. So that has always been a, a strong thread for me. I've always been obsessed with, you know, with the story and the narrative. So that was always a strength for me. And I, I loved um, being able to um, really get into the nitty gritty of the law. But what I didn't enjoy was the legal industry. And, you know, the, the corporate legal industry at the top end, it's very, very, I mean, it's it's the pointy end of capitalism, right? It's all about money. It's all about status and justice doesn't really come into the game. And so ultimately that was what I felt I needed to walk away from. I felt like, you know, you sell, you, you make a deal with the devil, right? When you go into top end, like top tier commercial law, the deal is you give us your life, you give us all your waking hours for the next 15 years, and then maybe in 15 years' time, then you can be the person on top of the pyramid who's who's giving the orders. And I came to a conclusion that I didn't want to be that person at the top exploiting the people below me. Like, and that was why I walked away. What, what was the defining moment? Because, I mean, I don't know about you, but nothing really hits you like, Bam, it's, it's just a series of, hmm, I didn't like that. And then, hmm, and it's step, step, step. And then finally, there's that, bam, that one moment. Like, what what was the one thing that made you realize that, like, uh, you know what, this is not going the way I thought it was going to be, and I don't like this. Okay, now it's not being what I thought it was. I was working on this piece of mega litigation, and I'd been working on it for six months, and I was so tired, you know, just absolutely mentally, physically exhausted. And one day, I, you know, it was, it was late at night, and I was standing on a train station in Sydney waiting for my train to go home in the middle of the night so that I could come back to work at 4 o'clock the next morning. 
and I just I just reached that point of exhaustion. I thought this is I have no energy to be a human being. I have no energy for creativity, for humanity, for love. I'm I'm you know the the well is dry. And yeah, that was when it hit me and I thought I need to do something else. So it was sucking your so- sucking your soul basically, right? Yeah, that's how that's that was how I felt. Look, I mean, a lot of people go into different industries and they thrive. They have, you know, they have good experiences and that's awesome for them. But for me, I felt like, yeah, I was I was losing my soul. And I also felt like I wasn't putting anything good into the world because I was so miserable that I felt sorry for everyone else who had to interact with me. Like, like, what were you doing? Like, were you argative? I mean, were you just like, I don't give a shit? Or I mean, what was your mood like when people talked to you? Like, did you go, I don't think I'm being fun to be around? Yeah, look, I was just exhausted. I just had nothing interesting or creative to say. I had nothing left to give. You know, I was like an empty shell. And, and so where did you go? Motorcycles. Motorcycles. Well, yeah. like, I, when did you go? That, that that's the path. Motorcycle. When when did you know that was your hedonia? Well, I got my uh, my motorcycle license when I was still in law school, and as I went through this progression of being a lawyer, and gradually, you know, my soul seeped away. I uh, increasingly realized that the only thing that was giving me, that was just giving me pure joy was, you know, if I got a day off on the weekend, like if I got Sunday off and I would get on my motorbike and I would just go and ride, you know, you'd get up really early, you'd get up at, uh, you know, 5.30 or 6 and you'd ride across the mountains. So Sydney, you know, it's beside the coast. You want to ride across that mountain range to the other side and then you can get out on the open road and, It was those moments when I was out on the road when, you know, you'd be coming into a corner and you'd be coming in slightly hot and, you you know, you'd be in this state of total concentration and flow. And it was at that moment that everything else would disappear for me. All of, all of the crap in my head, all of the stuff I was worried about, all of this case law that I'd been thinking about, all the stress, it would all just go away like magic as, you know, you come into there and the only thing in your head, it's, it's physics, it's your line, it's, it's where's your apex, it's, you know, feeling the feedback from the bike and you just come completely into the moment. And that was how I realized that motorcycles were going to be the answer to all my questions because it makes all the questions go away. I feel I, I totally feel the same way. And honestly, and this is not even, I'm not even trying to be, you know, that way, but the fact that, I mean, you're, you know, a very attractive woman and you ride a motorcycle and you had a, a, and a, a very alluring job being a lawyer. So you had to have like your share of suitors being a, a nice way of putting it and showing my age. But yeah, you had to have a nice <laughs> <laughs> fair share of suitors. So like was there uh, at that time, even though you were unhappy at your profession, was there like any, you know, guys in your life that they were like, hey, why don't you, you know, whatever, go out with me or why don't we figure this out together? Or were you like totally single and go, you know what, I'm not happy in this part of my life either? I didn't know anyone who was in the same part of their life as me. Um, Like I said, my background was very different from everyone that I worked with. I didn't grow up in Sydney. I didn't go to school. Um, I had an experience too, you know, when I was growing up, I, you know, I left home when I was 17 and, you know, I worked my way through my last year of high school. I, you know, I paid my rent. I was out on my own. Um, And so that was a very... um, it really, it shaped me into a person who was very um, independent, but also very defensive, I think. Um, And I felt that a lot of the people in my world came from very privileged backgrounds and they didn't see the world the same way that I did. And so I, you know, I was surrounded by people, but I wasn't surrounded by people who saw the world the same way as me. So, um, at that time when I was still sort of trying to find the thing that gave me life and gave me light and joy, you know, I, it, it's hard to connect with people when you don't know what you're looking for yourself. 
I totally agree on that one. I mean, so would that have you, did you have a sense of empathy for a certain group of people? Since you were around people who were privileged and they didn't understand how you had to work your way through and where maybe they had everything given to him, what, who, who did you gravitate toward or, or anybody? Because sometimes, uh, you know, I feel, like I'm a, I feel like I'm an outsider in a profession full of outsiders. That's why I do entertainment. So, I mean, you're where you are with people, like you said, you didn't fit in, but who did you? Or if anybody, I gravitated to people who like a really eclectic mix of people, but people who were joined together by motorcycles. I liked the fact that on the weekends it, I could join up with a group of people um, who were completely different from me. People who were, you know, like fifty-year-old truck drivers, you know, people who were like emergency room nurses, like people who had just completely different experiences in life and from all different age groups. And, you know, that's the lovely thing about motorcycles is you can, it it crosses all barriers. And so instead of sort of hanging out with the clique that I worked within, I, yeah, I really appreciated the diversity of that group of people that just came together over the fact that, you know, where we're addicted to speed and doing stupid things on motorcycles. <laughs> yes. We, nobody understands us but us. And I think that's, that's the beauty thing. And that's the beauty of it, you know? So do you remember the day that you decided, I mean, that you actually walked away? Because people talk, people talk a good game, but they go, ah, I got this thing. So when did you say, you know what, this is it? And you walked out and people go, you're crazy. And you just did it. I, I remember the day very clearly when I left my career job and it was, I left my job at the big law firm, you know, the one that everyone would sell their grandma to get this job. And I walked away from it and everyone said to me, you can't go yet. And I said, why, why can't I go? They said, well, you can't leave because, you know, if you stay for another three years, then you'll make like senior associate and then you'll make lots of money. And then after you're rich, then you can leave. And, you know, they, they would say things like this, you know, you've invested, you're too, you're in too deep. You can't just walk away now. And I said, of course I can walk away. Look, this is me walking out the door. And for a lot of people that was really shocking. And that was, um, you know, it was one of those moments when I knew I was absolutely doing the right thing, even though everyone around me thought I was doing absolutely the wrong thing. And I walked out of that job. And I walked into a different job. I walked into a contract, right? So I went down to um, to ASIC, which is sort of the equivalent of the SEC. So it's the um, Australian Securities and Investments Commission. Okay. And I walked down to there. Um, so it's a government agency, but they were running this big litigation. They needed lawyers. Um, and they needed lawyers to basically fight the firms that I'd been working for before. So I walked down there and I said to them, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. And they said, oh, that's interesting. I said, listen, I'm going to ride my motorcycle around the world and I need a job for six months and I need a lot of money. And they said, oh, that's fine. Tell us more about your trip. And they gave me the job. And so from walking out of one corporate environment where everyone said you're doing the wrong thing to walk into another environment where everyone said, tell us about your trip, I thought, you know, these things are going to go well. <laughs> Good for you, man. That, that is so badass. It really—that's actually—that's that's like punk rock shit right there, where you can just kind of stick your finger to the man and just walk out. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? You're like the female Fonzie, you know. I mean, do you know? Who, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really is. I mean, all you missed it was a leather jacket and a finger to the air, like I'm out of here, and you just walk away. Well, the really funny thing was, as soon as I stopped caring about a legal career. As soon as I stopped wanting it so bad, the opportunities all came knocking. As soon as I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore, suddenly everyone wanted me to be a lawyer, which I thought was hilarious. But that's how life works sometimes. You know, you bang your head against something and the minute you go, you know what, I'm done. And you clear it out of your mind. It comes, it's really hard to let go having the faith that it's going to come back or, or whatever it's going to work out. That's the hardest thing to do. People don't realize how hard that is. It sounds easy, but it's so difficult. And, and then you did it. And so there's, was there, was there a moment where you were at all can't, you had the motorcycle packed and you were riding. Was there a moment you go, yes, I am fucking doing this shit. 
it took it took a while to to sink in you know I think I was I was on the road for about two or three weeks before I found myself riding through western Queensland it's you know you're on the edge of the desert there right there's no one around for hundreds of kilometers and there's nothing but you and this red earth and this blue sky and I was just riding down this this dead straight road in the middle of nowhere and I just felt so light I felt like I could just float away into that blue sky and there was nothing I didn't have to go back for anything I didn't have to go forward if I didn't want to I just felt light I felt untethered and that was a golden moment for me the fact that you said untethered almost makes me want to end this talk right now because I've never used the word untethered. I, I, don't, I don't know what tethered means. I mean, that's how you're up here and I'm down here. So let's, let's bring this conversation right here. I don't know what untethered means. But no, I think that so if anybody had to play you in a movie, like who would it be? If an actor had to play oh, you in a movie. That's really hard. I have no idea. I don't really watch movies. I'm um I don't I've never owned a television. I don't really watch movies. I'm kind of a I'm more of a real life kind of girl. <laughs> I think that's beautiful. I mean because has anybody ever called you a hippie? I mean has that ever come out of people's mouths calling you a hippie? Calling me what, sorry? A hippie. Anybody ever called you a hippie? You know what a hippie? Oh, um Look, I, I enjoy motorcycles, hydrocarbons, two-stroke fuel, way too much to be a hippie, right? I mean, there's, there's way too much of the, of, I, I, I don't know what, what the word is. So, I mean, the American word is probably redneck. Um, in Australia, we'd be but there's, there's way too much of that in me for me to be a hippie. Like, I, I, may, I may run around in, in bare feet and, um, you know, camp in the bushes, but I'm also doing it with some, uh, you know, over, overpowered, oversexed dirt bike, which is, you know, probably not doing anything very good for the environment except uh, bringing, bringing us great joy. <laughs> I think, oh my God, I mean, honestly, if I was listening to this right now, especially, I mean, I'm hoping, and I never put myself out there like I'm some kind of role model, but honestly, you'd be surprised who listens and who watches and who reads. And if there's one person who's watching this, boy or girl, man or woman, and they go, yes, that's what I hope it reaches. Because what, I mean, honestly, to talk to you like that and somebody at your age and where you were and now where you're at now, which is, uh, I'm assuming on top of a mountain in, where. You're in Thailand right now. Where are you? In where Thailand? That's right. It, it, yep, I, mean, yep. I mean, that's and never. You don't watch TV. You don't own a TV. It's like that is the almost the ultimate. Like you're almost off the grid. Well, I'm I'm on I'm on some grids. I am on the grid where I like I write my blog and I'm. You found me on social media. I want to connect with people because I you know I want people to have great adventures as well. You know. And so um, I'm definitely connected to some grids, but in other senses, I'm, I'm not connected to the grid that I would associate with my previous life. Like in my previous life, I was plugged into the grid where, you know, you had to go to work and earn money and, you know, buy things to impress people that you didn't like and that sort of thing. <laughs> and I'm definitely off that grid now. Now I, I'm much more into um, doing, doing what makes me happy because I've discovered that by accident, when you do things that make you happy, then you have something to give to other people as well. Like if you're happy, you've got joy to share and that's definitely much better than being miserable. Of course it is. I mean, you're totally untethered. I hope I used it right. So <laughs> I hope I used untethered right in that, in that sentence. Now, were you ever, did you ever go through a boy crazy stage? Because it seems like, like I said, with your independence and some men see it as a challenge. I mean, do you like, I mean, was there ever a stage where you were like, ah, or you just were always like on your own thing. And now it's the motorcycles and like you write your blog and you're in your own world. And that's, and that's enough for you. I, um, I wouldn't say I ever went through a boy crazy stage. I mean, I, throughout my life, you know, I had a series of relationships. Some of them were good. Some of them were bad. Um, you, you live and you learn. Um, <laughs> these days, I mean, what I, what I have learned is that you do need to look up, you need to take care of your own shit first before you go around looking for the answers in someone else. Um, you're not going to, 
find the answers in someone else. You gotta, you gotta sort it out yourself. You gotta sort out your life, figure out what makes you happy, what gives you um, that, you know, that excess joy to share with other people, what gives you the energy to, to give back and to have some kind of fulfillment. And then, you know, the rest of it's going to work out. And what mental demons did you battle to come to, come to that conclusion? Like what, what was going on in your head where you had, I, I got to clear this out I, or, 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 or any, maybe who knows, maybe you were just a carefree kind of person. I don't know. I mean, you say you go around barefoot. So, I mean, you sound like you're carefree. So like what mental demons you had to do, you had to overcome or that you're overcoming? Well, I guess look, one of the big demons that I was overcoming in this trip as, as well would be this fear of homelessness. So when I was 17 and I was a teenage runaway, I ran away from home, you know, um, there was a short period of time where I, you know, I had, I had nowhere to live. And that was seriously um, frightening at the time. And that was, so that's like a demon that's been in my back pocket for most of my adult life. Like that's one of the reasons I became a lawyer because I thought I don't ever want to feel that vulnerable again. And so I set out to, you know, acquire financial security and that sort of thing. Um, But of course, when I was making all my life decisions out of fear, out of fear of not having enough, out of fear of insufficiency, it meant that I was too scared to take opportunities and, you know, do what I really wanted to do with my life. And so when I finally got to that point and I took a a leap of faith into the unknown, um, yeah, it felt like jumping off a cliff because I was essentially proving to myself the thing that I fear the most is being homeless. And so I said to myself, I'm going to make myself homeless. I am literally going to make myself a homeless person with a motorcycle and I'm going to prove to myself that it's all going to be okay. Wow. So you, uh, in your words, you were a moto hobo. Absolutely. A moto hobo. That was me. For sure. So how did you end up taking the bike from Australia to, to where you are in Thailand? Because I think the original plan was to go from Sydney to Paris. Right, right. Well, see, everybody kept asking me, they said, where are you going? And they all wanted an answer, you know? And so I said, oh, I'm going to Paris. I'll go to Paris. I'll go and do some wheelies up and down the Champs Elysees, (laughs) eat some croissant, you know, that'll be great. Um, because Paris is a really long way away from Sydney. And I was like, listen, you know, if they want an answer, I'll I'll tell them I'm going to Paris. Um, but really I, I just, I just needed to leave. I was like, I just need to ride towards the horizon and keep going. And I don't know what I'm looking for. I don't know where I'm going to find it. And I may not be back, but it's kind of hard to explain that to people sometimes. I, I honestly, when you said that, the song that came to my mind was "Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For" by U2. Have you have you found what you're looking for? Or are you still are you still searching? I found what I'm looking for. Oh, that's all. Oh, I love it. I love. It. So you've been a motor hobo for how long now? Or how long now? It's been five and a half years. Wow, really? And no regrets. What's that? Sorry. No regrets. No regrets. Oh, regrets. No regrets. Um, that's, it's a real privilege to be able to say that. I mean, there's, there's stuff that's happened that hasn't been that good, but everything becomes part of the fabric of your life that gets you to where you end up in the end. And now I feel like this is where I was trying to go all that time. What, what, I know you, I know you have a plethora. See, I I can have big words too. I know you have a plethora of stories, but what stands out from your journey to now? Like what story stands out more than any of them where you go, ah, ha, ha, good or bad that made you what you are today, the gangster that you are today? Ooh, ooh, that's a good question. Um, That's a good question. I think... You know, probably smuggling my bike into Vietnam, getting into Vietnam <laughs> illegally was probably was probably my most gangster moment. Oh, how did you smuggle a bike into Vietnam? I mean, we barely got people out of Vietnam. How did you smuggle a bike into Vietnam? Well, it was it was kind of a, a bit of a psychological game, you know. I, I basically talked my way into Vietnam by making life extremely inconvenient for the Vietnamese border guards. So I I made sure that I showed up on a Saturday night just before the border closed and I got out of Laos 
and I got into no man's land. And then I was in no man's land on the um, wrong side of the Vietnamese border. And it was about 6 p.m. on a Saturday night. The border was closing. And, you know, I, I'd been in Asia long enough to know how these things went down. So by 6 p.m. on a Saturday night, their boss is not going to be at work. Their boss is already probably pretty drunk, probably with someone who's not his wife, <laughs> and he's probably having a great time. And the last thing you want to do is call up that guy and be like, I've got this foreign woman at the border that doesn't, that, that keeps insisting she can come to Vietnam. <laughs> That is that. That's the lawyer in you coming out. That's the lawyer in you coming out. <laughs> it's, it's all tactics. It's all tactics. And so, yeah, I I made them. I I presented a very potentially inconvenient situation, and then I prevent presented the solution. I said, "Listen, you know, here, just stamp here, just stamp here on my documents, and I'll just go, and there'll be no trouble, and you'll never hear from me again. It'll all be good." <laughs> And I, I said, you know, don't worry. I've been to all these places and I showed them my carne. I said, listen, I've been to I've been to East Timor and Indonesia and Malaysia and Thailand and Cambodia. And I showed them all the stamps. I said, look, if all the other countries can stamp it, it's no problem. You can do it too. And <laughs> so you use your womanly powers. You use your womanly powers. Well, I mean, you don't want to use your womanly powers too much when you're the only woman within like 40 kilometers at a military border guard with, um, with you know, probably like 40 soldiers running around with their shirts off. So, um, yeah, yeah you don't it. want to be too hard on the womanly powers then. <laughs> so I was, I was more like, let's be like this interesting motorcyclist friend. I was like, Let, let's be in mate mode, not, not woman mode. So I was like, bro, bro, my friend, you know, this is great. We're on a great adventure. Don't worry. It's all good. And, um, yeah. And eventually I think they felt so awkward about making me sleep in no man's land that they, they just. They just stamped my documents, gave them back to me and said, just go, just go. <laughs> <laughs> the only person I don't who want uh, to see this podcast is dudes from Vietnam. Like, we've been had. <laughs> I hope they don't see it. They go, there she is. We've been had. They'll, they'll just be scrolling through YouTube like, wait a minute. That's the one. Well, I was I was actually really nervous about writing about it or talking about it for a while. I was like, oh, this is kind of a, actually a big, big secret. I was like not meant to be there. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm going to go with the uh, the optimistic uh, perspective, which is that probably the border guards from Vietnam are not listening to your podcast. <laughs> but if they do listen to your podcast. Hello, guys. Thanks for letting me in. I had a fantastic time. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. I'm, okay, so now I saw this and I, I knew you said, you know, you're not a very religious person. You have your views on it, whatever. But being the fact that you high sided and I saw that video, you high sided and, and you were a little and you were like cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs for a little bit. Like, what was your reaction to that? And did you like, was there a point where you go, okay, I'm not religious, but hey, thanks for me be okay. I mean, like, what was your, because I saw the video. If you guys got to see it, go to her YouTube channel, which is Bicodonia. And it's great because you have a, a, a plethora of videos on how to fix a bike, you fixing a bike, and the high side. So explain, I mean, did, did you did you come have a come to Jesus moment or were you still like, eh, I still feel the same way about religion, but hey, thanks whoever it is up there looking out for me. Well, I mean, sometimes I, I thank the gods of motorcycling. I'm not uh, conventionally theistic, but um, for sure, a lot of like, I mean, the only reason I'm still alive today is that the gods of motorcycling have had my back over these last five years. I mean, like that high side was uh, not the most dramatic of my close shaves. I mean, it was one that I caught on camera and it was very, it was very mild, you know, it was a high side, but there was no on oncoming traffic. I didn't hit any trees. I didn't hit any guardrails. So it was all very, uh, it was all very mild in my book, but for sure there have been times when I have been so close to being taken out by, you know, a truck in Cambodia and things like that. And you just, you know, you feel the air move as the, the truck goes by your your hand on your handlebar, you know? Wow. And is that the closest one like, you ever had with something like that? 
Was that the closest one you've had when somebody like uh, where you felt the like you said you felt the air on the on your handlebar? Was that the closest uh, to have an accident? That you- um, well, there was like so in Cambodia, people have this uh, bad habit of overtaking, even when even when just they they know you're you're there, right? So you're on the road, um, they see you coming, and they still pull out and overtake towards you. So I, I did have this moment where there was a truck with a bulldozer on it on one side of me and then coming directly towards me on my side of the road, there was a four-wheel drive. And then on the other side, there was a concrete barrier. And I just had to like sandwich myself in between the concrete barrier and this SUV, which was coming at probably about 70 kilometres an hour. And there was literally nowhere to, for me to go. You know, physics being what it is, Unless I bent the space-time continuum, <laughs> there was nowhere for me to go. And I just watched that, that SUV come towards me and I just thought, maybe this is it, maybe this isn't it. And it would have been centimetres from the edge of my bar. Um, you know, one, one end of my handlebars beside the concrete barrier, the other end of, end of my handlebars, like just oh. in that moving air beside the side panel of the SUV. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you say that now with a with a laugh and kind of brush it off, but I mean, did you really go, hey, you know, this could be it? I mean, did you? I mean, what did you say at that the actual moment? Were you that that flippant like how you are now, or was it like, all right, this might be it? I just hope it doesn't hurt too much. Oh, all I said was motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the way it sounds coming from her. I doesn't it sound great when it comes from a woman with that with that kind of accent. I love that it sounds great. That mother. <laughs> Honestly, that was I t- the only thing in my head. I tell people all the time: you you haven't been a motorcycle rider until you've had that that anal vapor lock on your on your on your seat where your where your ass just kind of just sticks to the to the. <laughs> <laughs> seat and you're like whoo whoo and you just start sweating and then you and people go are you okay I'm good I'll be right back <laughs> you know you haven't been a rider until you've had that moment but you know what I used to have that moment all the time and then after I started riding in you know crazy situations in Southeast Asia and that sort of thing I don't get it anymore I I just I get kind of pissed off when people nearly kill me. Like like I said, I'm just like, oh motherfucker. Um, <laughs> but then I just move on straight away. Like before, like if you asked me six years ago, I would have been like, oh, I need to like pull over and have a cup of tea. That was really scary. Yeah. But now I'm just like, oh, that was I didn't die today. And so, you know, 10 seconds later we move on. <laughs> that's a great attitude to have. I mean, it really is. That's the only attitude to have. I think personally, how you're, especially how you're living your life. I mean, it's like, okay, if you can weigh, uh, we talk about the pros, what are the cons of it? I mean, there's, you know, to whatever there is that looks great on the outside, which I'm sure you're, you're like, it's, it sounds like you're having fun in your life, but what are the cons? What are the kind of the negatives you go, if, if there is a negative, maybe just a little bit of a drawback. I mean, because, I mean, I live a great life to the outside. Like I said, I just got back from Italy, you know, and Germany and had a great time, you know, but there's always that little part, part of me like, man, you know what? It'd be kind of nice to have somebody to share this. When I was in the in the, in the sea and uh, on the Rimini Coast in Italy, I go, I love this. This is great. But a little part of me goes, you know, it'd be kind of nice to share this with somebody. And then I go, eh, what the hell? And then I have a, a good Italian meal and I'm good. So what are the cons to how you're living your life? I mean, because, I mean, like I said, the outside looking great. Now you have a business where you do tours in Thailand, you know, adventure tours, whatever, which I think is great. Honestly, you know, you're, you're like I said, you're off the, you know, the mainstream grid and you're riding wherever you want to go but what are the cons where you go hmm and then you kind of go you get back into like okay this is what I want to do well the the main drawback is vulnerability there there are times when I mean because I was traveling without a lot of money I did used to be a lawyer but I wasn't raking in buckets of cash so when I um headed out you know for five years on the road it wasn't it wasn't like I could just throw money at problems to solve them and so you know, there would be times when I would be feeling really insecure, um, you know, when the the bank account was dry, you know, and there would be times like I would want to go and sleep somewhere safe, but I couldn't afford the hotel, you know, it's like 
I remember I got off a ferry in Larantuka in Indonesia and the only hotel that um, I, that was open in the middle of the night that had anyone there in the middle of the night was, it was actually like quite a nice hotel. It was probably about $35 a night and I couldn't afford it. And I ended up, but there was like nowhere else safe for me to sleep because there was a town. It was this dodgy port town. I couldn't just like pitch my tent and expect to be safe there. You know, people would know that I was there. People would see me. And so I, that, you know, that moment when you feel like, ah, oh, I don't have enough money to have somewhere safe to sleep, that really sucks. And you feel really vulnerable. Um, and what I ended up doing that night was <laughs> I went and parked my motorcycle in the, um, in the car park of the hotel. And I, uh, because the hotel had a security guard and it had some lights. So I went and parked it beside some other motorcycles and just pretended I was meant to be there for a little while. Yeah. And then I was like, when the security guard wasn't looking, I sort of laid down under my motorcycle and tried to get some sleep. <laughs> and then I was just like, I was like hoping they wouldn't throw me out, you know? Yeah. And I, I woke up at about 3 a.m. and some guy's saying to the security guard, what's she doing there in Indonesian? And the security guard says to the guy, oh, she has no friends. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy goes, oh, oh, okay, no worries. And he goes back into the hotel and, and they let me they let me sleep there until the morning, until the quarter prayer. And then I get up and I say, oh, thank you. And off I go. <laughs> she has no friends. That, that would have to hurt my heart if somebody said she has no friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's also, it's particularly a tragedy in Asia, right? Because, you know, Asian culture is all about doing things with people. You have big family, you have big friend groups. People don't like go and just like ride around places on their own. They always go with a friend or like 17 friends, right. you know. And so the, yeah, so someone being on their own was, is like really unusual. And then, you know, this, yeah, totally isolated white woman on her own, you know, in this foreign <laughs> country. They were like, they felt really bad for me. They were like, wow, something's gone really badly wrong in her life. She has like no friends, no family looking after her, like, Oh, we better just like let her get some sleep. <laughs> well, we laugh about it now, but are you worried about? I know you pitch your tent and everything, but you know it's Asia, and maybe you know I, I let the the media you know get in my head. But aren't you worried about like waking up next to like a snake or or whatever, or some wild animal, a tiger, or or maybe a, a, a disgruntled elephant who's been in a circus and he's like now he's he's batshit crazy? I mean, I mean, are you worried about like the, I mean the. I mean, <laughs> Are you worried about some animal? I mean, honestly, I mean, it's like there's so many snakes in Asia. Are you worried about, you know, animal life? Well, I mean, you've got to remember I come from Australia. So I grew up in a place where there were deadly snakes everywhere. And so I'm just kind of used to it now. I mean, hopefully, like, I don't get bitten by a snake and I don't die from snake bite. I mean, that would be unfortunate. But um, it's not something that I worry about very often. <laughs> well, okay there, Tarzan. I mean, whatever. Okay, I'm just trying to look out for you, but okay, well then good luck, you know? I mean, always <laughs> always carry your always carry your machete. Always carry your I mean, when you sleep, carry your machete like this. So if you wake up, you're like, oh shit, it's King Cobra and he's like sleeping next to you for warmth. Just so and if he wakes up angry, you know, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, you well, never see, know. Here's the thing, the machete, the machete is for the people. The snakes are fine. The snakes, you know, are scared of me. They they go they're like not a problem, you know, most wild animals. Like I keep, I tell this to my Thai friends as well, because they don't like sleeping on mountains because they're worried about wild animals and they're worried about ghosts. And so they don't like sleeping out in the jungle. And I'm like, listen, don't worry. I said, I'm going to light a fire because, you know, I growing up in Australia, that was the, the one thing, you know, I always, you always learned was, you know, never leave the house without matches. So I was like, listen, I got fire. I'm going to light a fire. And we're going to be warm and dry and it's going to be absolutely fine. And, you know, and then my friends are like, oh, we might get in by a tiger. And I'm like, listen, all right, first of all, the tiger's <laughs> not going to like the smell of the fire. And second, if we get eaten by a tiger, a highly endangered tiger, do you know how special that would be? <laughs> like we would be lucky. I hope these aren't your last words. I really hope these aren't your last words. You know, you're, <laughs> you're talking all this and somewhere there's a tiger who ain't really, you know, he, he ain't about that life. He's like a gangster tiger. He's got like a bandana. He's like, yeah, this, this, this is her last day on earth. I mean, I sure hope not. I really don't. I really don't wish that on you. I, I mean, I want the best for you. And I, like I said, it's not even kissing up. It's just, and that's how I found you. I found you a long time before. And I mean, honestly, I, I go, you know what? 
I got to talk to this girl because I, I, I had another one, uh, woman who was traveling the world also. She's from the United States. Her name is Chasing Crystal. I don't know if you follow her on Instagram, but she's called Chasing Crystal. She did the same thing you did. I mean, she would park. I mean, she would park her bike and literally pitch a tip literally underneath the bike and just sleep. And I was like, are you crazy? And now she's living the same way you are. She went from the United States over to Europe and she's somewhere in Europe. I don't know where she's at. I think you two should link up on Instagram. Honestly, you know, Chasing Crystal, you guys should be best friends because I think you guys travel together would be perfect. I mean, you both have the same kind of just that great carefree attitude that I mean, honestly, it's so just, you have no idea how much I love that. I mean, to, I mean, to be away from the constraints of what, you know, people, the, what life puts on you here. And, you know, like some people, you know, they married the wrong person or just married just to marry and to shut their relatives up and have a life that they didn't really want, but it makes their family happy, doesn't make them happy. But you're actually living the life that makes you happy. Right. Well, also being on the journey to the life that makes you happy, because like you touched on before, and you were quite correct about it, not all of, uh, you know, being a vagrant with a motorcycle feels good. You know, there are lots of those moments when you feel vulnerable or scared or, you know, you feel you feel hungry or you feel like you don't have somewhere safe to sleep. Um, And those moments, you know, it's those moments are not, oh, I'm living exactly the way I want my life to be. <laughs> Obviously, <Yes. laughs> I'd like to not be hungry. I'd like to not be scared, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, it's so worth it because that's how you get to where, where you're going, even though sometimes you don't know where that's going to be. Okay. It's like this. You say that, and it makes me think about when I was riding one time and I was in Arizona during monsoon. I mean, the rain's coming down. Helmet's fogging up. I got to lift the visor up just enough to do this so I can see. I'm passing trucks. I mean, like, I have my, my uh, flashers on, my emergency blinkers on, and trucks are past me, and they're blowing the horn. I'm like, you guys are just dicks, right? And I had to laugh because it was like, this is the life you wanted, BT. I mean, you always want to travel <laughs> by motorcycle. And I had to laugh. So what, what was that moment for you where it just got, I mean, where it was so bad that you had to go, ah, this is what I asked for, and you had to laugh? Can you, is there any moment that, that, that precisely hits that moment where you go, okay, I asked for this, but <sighs> was it when you were underneath the, the bike and, and, and where you were and said she had no friends, or was it another situation? Oh man, so many situations. Like this is this happens all the time where uh, you know things are suboptimal, but I'm like, it's okay. In the grand scheme of things, I am where I want to be. Um, you know, there was there was a moment in East Timor where I was camping beside some hot springs, and this guy appeared in the middle of the night with a machete and a pack of wild dogs, and he was uh he was kind of aggressive. I think he was probably um he was probably one of these people who had quite traumatic experiences in the in the war um, of independence in East Timor, which is really very recent. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are quite a few people like still roaming around the hills from those militias from, from those days and, you know, people who've not been able to integrate back into their villages and back into society. And, um, yeah, and I think you know, talking to the villagers, you know, after, because obviously I survived. Um, I think that that was probably the kind of person I encountered that night, but, um, yeah, he was, uh, he was not a friendly person. And I, uh, there was a little building that they, that had been used as a tool shed and I went and locked myself in there and he staked out this little building in the middle of the night. And I was in the middle of East Timor. There was no cell phone reception. There were no people around because the local people um, won't sleep um, down in the valleys near water because they think there are ghosts there. And so the villages are always built up on top of the hills. And so I was totally alone with this guy with his pack of wild dogs and he's got this machete and he's yelling at me to come out. And, um, I'm obviously not coming out (laughs) and I'm just looking at him and he's looking at me and he's like sitting on the step, um, of, of this little building and he's just smoking cigarette after cigarette, just chain smoking, just waiting for me to come out with his machete in his hand. And, um, 
yeah, and I thought to myself, is he going to come through this door? And But it was all right because I was in a tool shed, which meant that I also had a machete. So there's a lot of machetes in my stories now that I think about it. But anyway. <laughs> I think you're part Jamaican. I really do. I think... I think you've heard Jamaican in a former life. I never heard so many machete stories in my goddamn life. <laughs> so, yeah, so he was out there and I was in there and I was like, well, if he comes in the door, it's it's on for young and old, you know. I'm not going down without a fight. My um, God, and that I moment know. I thought, perhaps, you know, this wasn't the wisest decision. <laughs> but then I thought, oh, fuck it, never mind. You know what, I... I do me a favor, go on YouTube and find some self-defense machete videos or whatever, or learn something, maybe the eye poke or whatever. You're already in Thailand. Go to a Muay Thai place once a week. I mean, you know, trade out whatever you can for a, a, a class or whatever, just to protect yourself. I mean, I'm happy for you, but knock on wood, man. You got to... I worry about you. And not just because you're white, I just worry about you. Anybody I would worry about, but it, you know, maybe it's the old school of me. I don't care if it sounds politically incorrect, but you're a woman and you're doing your thing, which I think is great, but just, you know, eh, it wouldn't hurt you to get a, a video on YouTube on how to, you know, win a machete and how to cut somebody or whatever, you know, just, just promise me you do that. <laughs> just promise me you do that. Yeah, sure. Well, look, I mean, honestly, I worry about me too sometimes. So I'm, I'm on board with this. And I think Muay Thai would be heaps of fun. So I'm, yeah, <laughs> I, I just need to stop riding motorcycles for long enough to do some Muay Thai training. And um, I think that would be a great addition to my life. I, okay. So before we get out of here, I want to ask you, how do you make money now? Uh, it's not an OnlyFans, is it? You don't have an only. <laughs> you don't have an only. <laughs> You don't have an OnlyFans like, it's Grace McDonald's. You've never seen her before. Like, oh, my God. I mean, like, how do you, how do you make I know you have the uh, buy you a cup of coffee, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I write my blog and sometimes people will, like, buy me a coffee or, like, send me a, like, send me a little contribution, like, send me five bucks on PayPal, which is, which is really helpful. That was sort of what got me through the first couple of years. But now I'm in Thailand and... I have a new project, so I'm setting up a off-road and on-road tour company here, so motorcycle tours. I'm in the mountains north of Chiang Mai, and we've got this home base up in the mountains, and yeah, basically, we are crazy about dirt biking, so um, the trails here are just glorious. Like, we can go into the mountains for days of single track and just, you know, you, you just disappear into the single track, into the jungle. And then at the end of the day, if things have gone well, you know, you pop out at a little, little village and there's, you know, there's cold beer and there's like barbecued pork. And if things don't go well, you don't come out of the village and you end up sleeping on the mountain. See earlier comments about lighting a fire because the tigers apparently <laughs> are interested. You almost had but, me till um, you said tiger. You had me till you said tiger. Then I'm like, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, so, so this is like my dream job because it's literally my job to go and get lost in the jungle and find new trails for our tours. So obviously when we do the tours, we've got it all, you know, we've got it all buttoned down. We, we know exactly where we're going to sleep, where we're going to eat. We know exactly the trail conditions and we've got options for people. Like if people are like, oh, this is too hard or this is too boring, then we can say, oh, we'll do something easier. We'll do something harder. Um, so yeah, so that's the idea. That's the end product. But the way we get to that end product is, you know, it's my job to ride around in the jungle doing crazy shit. And it is so much fun. Good. For, oh my God. I mean, honestly, I, I told you before, I told you last night, man, I might take you up on that offer and I just want to ride with you. I really do. I want to ride. I want to come out there and we'll just, we'll just do it and just ride. I think, I think it'd be great. I'd love if you had it before we got, if there's any, what, what places, top five places that you'd like to travel to? It doesn't have to be top in a particular order. Places. Yeah, that you'd love to travel Ever. to, that you haven't, that you haven't been to. Oh, that I haven't been to. Yeah. Well, I particularly want to ride across Iran. Um, everyone oh. who's ever been to Iran has said that they had the most incredible time, that the hospitality is some of the best in the world, that people are so, so nice in Iran, and you just have a fantastic time as a motorcycle traveler. And so I would absolutely love to go there. And I mean, I'm obviously curious because, you know, it's a little bit of the unknown. It's not the beaten track. Um, 
uh, it's not, you know, a, a popular tourist destination. <laughs> and so I would, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it goes Hawaii, Iran. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. And on the same note, I would love to, if it becomes possible in the future, I would love to ride Afghanistan, like the Wakan Corridor there. Like some of the most incredible scenery in the world. Oh, my gosh. I would absolutely love that. Um, it's not possible at the moment, but, you know, give it a few years and and we'll see what happens there. So I've got my eye on Iran and Afghanistan um, and I want to ride across Mongolia. I want to get lost in the steppes um, and I want to I want to ride Pakistan as well, the Karakoram Highway. And where else? That, that leaves me with, you know, you know, I want to go to Guatemala. So I was talking to a guy the other day and he was telling me, you know, the, the Enduro is great. They have heaps of volcanoes. You can just ride Enduro up and down volcanoes for weeks. And that sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. So, yeah, let's put Guatemala on my list as well. You don't want to go to the Highway of Skulls in, uh, in Russia? Yeah, well, I wouldn't mind, but it's kind of, it's a little bit straight, isn't it? I mean, these days I'm kind of into single track um, more than I'm into the big sweeping highways. Oh, you, you too good yeah, for that? Yeah, is it does have a, a certain appeal to it, doesn't it? So are, are you too good for that? Like, that's too easy. You want you want a challenge. Is it, is it too easy for you? Is that what it is? Like, I want to ride through a war zone. <laughs> that, that that's basically sound like what you want to do. Like, you know what? I want to ride through a war zone. I want to go through Ukraine, Russia right now, wearing a shirt that's half Russia and half Ukraine and just have them figure out which side I'm on. That's what it sounds like you like to do. You sound like you like a challenge is what I love. Yeah, well, I mean, I want to I want to discover things that I I don't know about yet. You know, um, before I thought I was I said, oh, I'm going to Paris, and I thought, oh, that'll be nice to ride to Paris. But honestly, riding through Western Europe, you kind of have to obey the speed limits, you have to obey the road rules. You the roads are very good. You're not allowed to go and ride off road in crazy places because there's a law against that. You know, there's a law against a lot of things in yeah. in Europe. And, you know, a lot of other Western countries, which is one of the reasons why I don't live in any of those Western countries anymore. Um, actually, interestingly enough, I'll be going back to Australia um, next week for my mm -hmm. first visit in five years. And um, I'm slightly nervous because I feel like I'm going to get booked for traffic violations within the first five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how long is my license gonna last? You know what you're gonna be like? You're gonna be like Tom Hanks in, in, in the movie Castaway, where you're just gonna be all weird because you'll be around a lot of people. And it's like, you know, you'll be around civilization, like, this isn't me. And you have to go back to the wild. It's like those kids that are born in the jungle, raised by wolves, and then you go to civilization and they go, What's wrong with your girl? They go, Ah, she's just like that. She's not used to people. And you just kind of leave. Like they come back and you're asleep outside. I mean, you're like, you're, you're, you're underneath the, you're underneath <laughs> the tree. True. I, I think true. so. I'm, I'm like riding on the footpath and like sitting in the gutter beside my motorcycle drinking beers. And people are like, you can't do that. All of that is illegal. And I'm like, but this is like my favorite thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I can see that happening, Grace. God, I... Honestly, and I'm not even kissing ass. I just think you are just, I love the way you're living your life. How long do you think you're going to live like this? And, or do you just like, you're just going to play it by ear? I look, hopefully this run of fun goes on forever. Um, I'm so, yeah. So now that I'm, I'm setting up these tours in Thailand, the idea is, so Thailand has a really distinct riding season. So mm -hmm. between November and February in the North here, we have the most divine riding weather. And so it's sunny, it's not raining. The jungle is lush. The nights are cool. The days are warm. It's just absolutely perfect. And so for those four months of the year, my plan is that I'm going to run tours up here in Northern Thailand and hopefully make a little bit of coin, which I can then use to live on the rest of the year while I travel around the world like a vagrant as per usual. 
All right, Moto Hobo. Listen, I'm always going to worry about you. Check in every now and then with me. If you go to those crazy places, just let me know you're okay. You know, get the YouTube videos with the learn how to defend yourself with the Muay Thai. I'll teach you something and whatever, but just I want you to be All careful. Right. And honestly, I've been I'm saying, stalking is a bad word, but I've been following your page for forever. And I finally reached out and I'm glad you were so gracious to answer me. I mean, cause I always say it takes a lot because I know I come off as like, you know, I'm so in your face. It's not not know me and to get to know me and, and to agree to this. So I appreciate you so much. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Anything else you want to say to the viewers before we get out of here? Oh, look, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. It's You've got great energy. It's so cool to talk to you. You uh, obviously, you get it. You get the joy. Some people in life, you know, um, they're not having a good time. They're, and things sort of, you know, they don't really know what you're talking about when you talk about that pure unadulterated joy and I see that you do I see that you get it I see you've got you've got your passions you've got your motorcycling you you understand that concept of absolute joy and it's so nice to share that so I hope I can share that with more people I hope that um, a lot of people are going to come and ride here in northern Thailand because this is some of the best riding in the world in my humble opinion and, um, yeah, I hope we can spread some more uh, crazy motorcycling joy around the world. When we get this, when this comes up, we're gonna, I'm going to send it to you, put it on your stories or whatever, pub it, because I want people to go to your page. I want people to go tour with you because I know it's going to be fun. You're a great person inside and out. I love what you're doing, and I just want somebody. I, and I know it sounds corny, but I'm a sappy person. I just really want, there's some girl out there who's living that, like people are like, you like this? And she's like, yeah, and she sees this and goes, that's what I want to be like. Cause I think you're going to be a role model to people. I really think so. And that sounds sappy, but I'm a sappy person. And I just think that's how it's going to be. So thank you so much, Grace well, McDonald. Follow her. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that would make me so happy. So one of my, my pet projects is I like to ride around Southeast Asia and I like to make sure that the little girls see me being, you know, a badass on a motorcycle because I want them to have that dream. You know, it's kind of a conservative society. Little girls don't ride around being badasses on motorcycles, particularly on their own. And so I'm like, I got to represent. I got to get out there and represent. And that was how I ended up in Cambodia, um, riding in an enduro race a few months ago. Um, enduro racing is is not my not something I've ever done before. But some, you know, my friends came over. They said, "Oh, look, there's there's no girls in the race. We need people to represent. We need the little girls to see the girls racing, so they go out and race too when they grow up." And I couldn't say no, so. That's how I ended up racing in Cambodia. And that's actually a whole different story. But anyway, I want to see girls on bikes having a fantastic time and living life. That is beautiful. I mean, like I said, I'm a sappy human being, but man, that is beautiful. I love it. You keep being a moto hobo girl. Be careful. Guard yourself. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Um, follow her by Cadonia on Instagram, and then you can follow her links to her blog and everything else. Thank you so much, Grace McDonald. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for being the role model you are. Thank you guys for watching. And you know how I say it about this time. You know the word. Peace.